Hello, my friends. Today is a very exciting day. A special thank you to all of the fans and listeners who've reached out to congratulate myself and my wife, Michelle, on the newest addition to our family, a little baby boy named Lachlan. Take a moment today to add me on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can see some photos. You can also catch highlights from the show and see faces of what some of these great technology leader guests look like. You can also join the community that happens within our comment threads. Now, Lachlan is only one day old, and he's already improving and growing as a leader thanks to LeaderBits. So if you're looking to develop yourself and weaponize yourself professionally, we've created this complimentary growth review just for you, just for individuals. So we'll answer questions like, how do I level up? How do I become more valuable? And what are others doing so that I can gain an edge on my peers and accelerate and advance my skills? So here's what you're going to leave the growth review with. A clear step-by-step plan tailored to your specific situation tactical insights that you can apply immediately, and a review of your leadership abilities so you can see how you stack up against over 1,200 other leaders that are just like you. And we'll answer all of your questions about how to develop yourself professionally and become more valuable. So to get this review, visit leaderbits.io forward slash growth, and you can schedule your complimentary growth review today. Now get excited because... Today we are talking to Bill Tingle, the CTO at Pods, and we discuss the importance of communicating your value, when to lead and when to follow, and why holding on to certainties is limiting and dangerous. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. This is fun. Have you done any other in studio? We did. We did. Yes, we've done one other one with uh, you know ClickBooth. They're like a marketing company. No. They happen to be number one in the world, and they're in Sarasota. Oh, great! For their niche, like okay. whatever. Yeah. They do CPA marketing. Uh-huh. I don't know, okay. but they're really popular for it. And Janice had moved um, from another country over here as a CTO. He'd been CTO mm-hmm. there for a while, mm-hmm. and. Then he was driving in his Tesla, and the first week he was here, he just put in the word CTO into his podcast, and up came our oh, our show, great. and then he noticed that we were talking, that we're uh-huh. actually from here, uh-huh. and so he reached out, and we ended up having him on the show, and then I find out he lives like a street down from me. Isn't that wild? Small yeah. world. Yeah. That's great. Like walking through my neighborhood, I'm like, that guy looks familiar. Well, when I got the note from Chloe, and uh, I was like, well, I... And then I saw your, your LinkedIn program. I'm like, where are they from? And then they're breaking. I'm like, I'd rather go there than do a Zoom session. Right? You know, I mean, just there's something about being present with somebody than, I mean, it's great that we have the capability to be remote and do video conferencing. I think that's wonderful. But it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same just because we're, you know, like uh, there's biologically, you know, whether it's limbic resonance or just the way that the energy with people when they're together, you know, it's very different. So. That was one of the things that stood out to me when I was reading through uh-huh. your notes. Uh-huh. It's like you, and I was just thinking, I think about a week ago, the physics of leadership, right? Uh-huh. And when, as I was reading through some of your stuff, you have a lot of, you mix a lot of that in there. Uh-huh. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I've been, for years, I've been studying, uh, well, leadership. You know, there's just great, you know, history of, of research and, and, and books and things around leadership. 
uh, but probably since 2000, introducing sort of the biology, the human part of it, right? And, you know, Daniel Pink had whole new being, whole new mind, with a left brain, right brain, which was interesting. And then I've always been interested in the brain and the mind, not, not at the scientific level necessarily, but just like how it works because it's, it's who we are, right? I mean, uh, and then the other part of that is we're, we live in language. And I think we take that for granted. And I remember years ago, I don't know if it was Napoleon Hill or someone, there was a, a book, The Power of Words, I think is what it was called. And I'm like, well, well, duh, you know, the power of words. But I started thinking more and more about, you know, we actually, and we have language and, and we exist in language and we trigger each other in language. And if we didn't have that, what would life be like, right? I mean, we, we, I mean, we give things names and we create, you know, you talked about you're interested in electricity. Well, imagine, like, what would that be like if you didn't have language to, to talk or learn about electricity? So, yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole range of studies out there um, that I've brought to my own practices that have just been extremely helpful. I always found, and I always say the word wrong, it's like anthropomorphism. It's basically when we assign inanimate objects, personality types, or we imagine that they're uh -huh. like us, uh -huh. other objects, but they're not. Like we do this with animals a lot. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I, and after I heard that, I guess that was one of the one of the first things that started to open my mind to learning, uh -huh. <laughs> learning because it's you can leverage that information, and it actually will help you in relationships and in the real world. Uh -huh. Yeah, I was just thinking about like my dog. You know, I, I love to walk my dog in the morning and, and late at night. It's it's sort of one of my ways of relaxing and reflecting and you know I watch my dog how it it, it it operates you know it responds and it does certain things but it all it doesn't have language now it, it understands my commands because it, it's a sort of a pattern recognizing creature but you know if I start having a conversation and, and saying other things the dog's not going to do anything he's just going to kind of tip its head and look at me um, but it has similarities in it's organization as we do. I mean, it has a stomach and ears and, you know, and so, but then if you looked at the brain, clearly there's only, you know, the brain structure is only so, so uh, organized. And so you say, okay, well, what's the structure of that? And how can I work, you know, how can I be with my dog? But I can't be the same way as I can with my, my wife or my children or, or, or anything like that, because, you know, the pre prefrontal cortex isn't the same structured the same. And, and, uh, and then you look at humans and how, we're structured and you think about, wow, it's, it's amazing why, A, why we need each other to help each other and B, what we're able to accomplish because of the way we're structured. And you start thinking about that. It's like, well, we're, what are the limitations to what we can do? And you've seen it like over the last century and even more so over the last 20 years. Uh, it's just uh, acceleration of change and what we're able to accomplish as, as human beings working together because if we're all working in isolation, just none of that's going to happen. So that, yeah, that was for me, the first time I became a team leader, I was real geeky. I loved to build things, right? And I saw you have the coding background yeah, as well. Yeah. And so there was something so engaging about being able to solve the problem. It was addictive. Like I uh -huh. very much enjoyed it, getting yeah. the result, putting the work in. And then when I found out you know, that you could work with a team and now you've amplified oh, yeah. and now you've got five, six people who are amazing and what you can do when you can control and motivate that team to achieve an outcome now you're it's like 
all of the greatness from that, but multiplied. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the it's far greater than the sum. I mean, what you can and you know, you think about what and you've, you've probably seen this. What four people can do, even spread out throughout the world, uh, compared to an entire company at times, right? It's, Where it's you know it's all about coordination and and having intentions around what you're trying to produce and what your vision is and and having the capabilities and the the way that you interact together uh, it's amazing what what can be produced uh, versus alone you know i see some people yes. and nothing against that i see people who are you know doing a startup and they're going alone and there's no network there's no uh, you know interconnection with anybody else and you just see the loss of power because it's one person trying to do it. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging that. I mean, I think you know, all the power of that person who's writing that first set of code to create the next great, you know, the next Facebook or whatever. But at some time, Mark Zuckerberg did have other people that right. he worked with, right? And it's, you know, I'd say for myself, I resonate with what you're talking about right now because I had built technologies and done it by myself. Mm -hmm. And then I had built technologies with a business partner and he was running all like the CEO type mm -hmm. stuff. And then I realized through that, that not only is the engineering side very dependent on relationships and people, mm -hmm. but the sales and business side of actually getting what you built that's cool into the market is 100% dependent on your network and relationships and people. And so going at it yourself, it's like, I enjoy the mission that I'm on mm -hmm. and I wanna bring other people into it. So this is very real to me because uh, back in March of last year, it was myself and Jake, hmm. the producer, and we had this show, mm -hmm. and then we ended up doing this leadership company, and now we have 11 people. And That's great. It, yes, and this is the first time that I've worked with people outside of engineering. So I had to learn sales, I had to learn yeah. all of this. And what I, what I realized is that the money is, to be able to bring in people is so powerful and beneficial that I just severely underestimated what I could do with five people versus what I could do just working 16 hours a day. Like it, it's hard in my mind, it would be hard if I even went back in the past to try to convince myself of how much of a multiplier you get and then how much you're going to need beyond that to serve the market. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And the thing I think about a lot is, you know, if you, if you try to go alone and you're trying to do sales and marketing or finance, accounting, whatever that, well, what do you know about those domains? And, and how effective are you gonna be and how long is it gonna to take to learn versus find somebody and you know, pay them and be a, be a follower of their leadership in that domain when you need to. Versus, you know, this is one of the things about leading people in general is if, if as the leader you think you have to know more than they do about every domain, you know you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna fail or be really ineffective, versus you know I've I've got a head of security and that I'm not a security expert I know the fundamentals of what I need to know, um, but any moment I'm following him and because he understands it right and I like I think his interpretations are far better than mine in that regard and so I choose to follow him in certain situations and other situations he follows me and it's like a dance back and forth. Right. And yes. so for you, I would imagine it's the same thing where you've got a content person or Jake or whoever that knows what they know and you're following them at any point in time. But at the end of the day, you're the one that constitutes the business mission and the purpose. And you're making sort of the higher level interpretations and in driving the company, I would imagine. 
Yeah. yeah. And when I, I had a conversation with my CPA, I think like the day before yesterday, and he was asking some about some of the earlier entries because it's tax season. And fun. Fun. Yeah. yeah. And so back when we started, it was just you know me and Jake. So uh, he was saying, I, I think I see what you're trying to do here. And I said, look, I had no idea. <laughs> I go, I saw a button that said book asset and put the computer in. And then I realized that this whole accounting thing, it's like its own world. Oh, yeah. Like you can't just use, like you can't just buy QuickBooks like it's an app and just use it. Like there's this yeah. whole entire profession behind it. And he like laughed so hard. He's like, yes, there's an entire profession of accounting. And all we do is deal with how we book things and do accounting. It's a whole different discourse. Yeah. You know, and it's funny how we think we can pick up a book, read it, and we got it right. Like I talk, I talk to my team a lot about understanding versus knowledge you know it's like well yeah we can all read a book over the weekend but you know come in monday morning well let's see how well you you know can write a, a pearl script or you know whatever it might be right it's like well yeah you might be able to pass a test or regurgitate the information but you know knowledge is the ability to produce an act and produce an outcome and how effective can you be and so that's where like well that's why we need help that's why when we pay people who've been through those discourses like like for you and your accountant yes so i get that yeah that's why the executives from Airbnb, Uber, or Twitter are so highly sought after. Because when you hire an early employee from there or someone that was in, you know that they saw it. You know that they went through it. Mm -hmm. They didn't read about it. They didn't study it in yeah. a master's program. They did it. And so now they come with a premium, this experience premium. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Good. You started young. Your father was in business. You started working with him. Yeah, that's kind of a funny story. I, I talk about it. It's it's sort of for me. It's a, like a sort of romantic story, and it, it wasn't a glamorous thing. My father, uh, he was raised by two deaf parents. Okay. So you know, definitely poverty. I mean, it was you know the things they could do to make money. Um, you know, very very minimum wage, and so um, you know he saw early on that you know he wanted a better life, and so he he uh, played college football. He got a scholarship because he was on a winning team got a degree in chemistry, became a scientist, um, and he made, made, you know, pretty good money, but he he, want, he knew it wasn't going to be enough, A, to buy uh, company stock when it became available to him, um, and B, uh, he was thinking about our college. And so he started a janitorial business. And so, you know, during the day he worked his job, and at night he would, um, we would go on to these clean buildings, you know, so I'm a very young child. My first job was, uh, you know, picking up cigarette butts. Um, but over time, as he hired crews, I actually, because I knew how to do everything, I knew the operation, and I was actually running cleaning crews at a pretty young age. I couldn't even drive. And, uh, and I remember, and that was, it was a really, I, I didn't have the distinctions back then, but I look back at how I was demonstrating leadership because I understood what the rules were and the practices and the requirements for what done was. And my dad was a stickler. You know, he would he would actually you know put on a glove and you know wipe down surfaces and if, if there was anything you had to get it clean, which I learned a lot about detail. But I learned at a very early age how to lead and how to coordinate and how to make interpretations of situations and know what the criteria was to be like. Okay, the customer's going to be satisfied. And again, I didn't use those words back then. Um, but so that was sort of the beginning, and I think, <clears throat> I think over time, I, I've always uh, sort of gravitated to leadership just because I, I, I learned how to, like, like look at what's a situation and how to coordinate people around it. And, and in fact, I love, I love software engineering. I love to code, but I kept getting put in management positions. And for a while, I thought, well, I must be really bad at writing code because <laughs> they keep putting me in management positions. Maybe I was. 
but I, I really enjoyed it, and I finally surrendered, and I said, okay, enough's enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a manager or a leader, and then uh, then I was I was trying to use my common sense and all that I learned, and I realized, you know, like anything, you got to study it. You know, just because you're in management, it's just like marriage, right? You, yep. like we were never taught how to be a husband or a father, right? And it's like, well, there is there is there are places you can get help. And so, uh, anyway, that's sort of my little background and how I developed some perspective around it. Yeah, just like accounting, it's a field of study. Yeah, exactly. And it, when you go in there, there's unbelievable amounts of resources, and so and then you start to notice trends between the different authors and sort of develop your own leadership style. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really enjoyed that you said was you understood what done meant. Yeah. Because that is something that software struggles with. Yeah. It's it's the definition of done, right? So what is the definition of done at, at pods? Well, with, with regard to what? Uh, Just software. overall? What, yeah. with, with what? Software, let's say software. software. Oh, okay. Um, well, so right now we're, we're building a new system. Okay. And it's massive. You know, it's um, it's a new... It's a new ERP system, but it, I would even say it's bigger than that. I, I'd, I'd like to think of it more a um, new ecosystem. Okay. You know, so the, the foundation, um, we clearly have criteria um, that we can measure against for what done means sort of on the initial the initial launch. And, um, and, it's, and it's, it's quite a long list, you know. In fact, I would say it's, you know, there's, there's probably 500 lines of, you know, checkpoints and criteria that we're going to look at. But I think, you know, it has to start with, it has to start with a human who's going to be touching the system, right? I think that's one of the things I, early, early on, you know, I mean, early on I worked in real-time embedded software so that there was no humans involved. But the first time I, I was involved with human-centered systems, it all starts there. It's like, you know, how easy is it to use? Do they have to think? You know, I love the, the Krug book, Don't Make Me Think. And, you know, it all starts around user experience and no friction. And so I think the definition of done has to start with a human, like the, who, who's, who's getting the utility and the significant value from it. And then, and then, there's, then there's who's supporting it. And so done means, you know, does it, does it, is it sustainable? Does it operate? Is it, is it autonomous? Is it self-correcting maybe? Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's quite a bit that goes into that, but then, and I, I, I look, was looking through your book, which I, I, I didn't realize you had a book for a while and then I, I, I bought it on Kindle by the way. Oh, so yeah, you. I'm a customer Woo. and, uh, yeah, there was some good stuff in there. I was, uh, My first yeah, book. that I was tried. great. It's like a first product. Yeah, you just I, put I, it I, out. I, I, yeah, I did a, I did a, I did a pretty quick read and then some, there were some chapters that really just gripped like the one on uh, MVP, mm-hmm. you know, and spaghetti code. I was like, oh, that's great. But the one I think you had a section there around, uh, which I totally believe that I think you, t- you talked about um, perfect is the enemy of good or something mm-hmm. like that, which, you know, that's uh, kind of a popular phrase. But, you know, that's something you have to think about when you think about done, because in some cases you'll never get done. And there's always that last, what you know, 10 percent or 15 percent, whatever the number is, that the return on the investment and the lost opportunity uh, will just will just just eat you alive if you don't really look out for it so uh, you know I probably didn't it didn't get as detailed in an answer there but I but I do think you know done has to be criteria and good enough has to be there and certainly whoever's touching in the case of a software system whoever's touching it has to be satisfied and it's not just the customer but you start with the customer yeah so when you're when this when the program is providing value to the end user yeah right it's not like when it just hits the development server (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And I've I've seen I've seen some MVP what people call their MVP before, and and I've, my first thought is well, where's the utility? And so uh, to me, unless you just want to build the the infrastructure and the, the 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 sort of the backbone and make sure that you have if you want that approach of you know having a scalable infrastructure first, that's fine, and I think that's that's admirable. Um, but if there's no utility, I don't see where the done is. For my criteria, now for their criteria, maybe that was done, you know. Pods. Yeah. How did you get involved? How did you find Pods? Yeah, that's a great story. What a, what a great company. And, and uh, they've got the, just a wonderful history. Um, so I was in St. Louis for about 20 years. Worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, uh, family-owned company. Just you know, people, just, people have no idea what a phenomenal company that is and uh, culture and, and the growth and family-owned and, and just... Just it's just a great story. So, um, I had worked about every area of IT there. Had I was not the C, CIO. Uh, they have a, a marvelous CIO there, um, and I was at that point where I had run every area, and I was like, "Well, I'm ready to go run the whole thing myself." You know, I want to go, and you know, enterprise got pretty big. There was 20 billion in revenue when I left, wow. and uh, they grew. You know, they had uh, over 1.5 million cars in their fleet, and uh, anyway, if this is more about pods. I uh, I decided after 20 years I was going to go do something else. You yes. know? And uh, and I also, you know, my dad worked at the same company his entire career, which was admirable, but I, I, I wanted more variety. And um, so I decided to go out and started, I started talking to executive recruiters and networking and uh, reaching out. Um, I made a trip out to San Francisco and just started going up and down the valley. And I had some connections out there, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll... Because my wife's from San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so I thought, well, she'd like to move back out there. And then I realized, this is a young place, and I don't... You know, I think age discrimination could be really alive and well there. And uh, and I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, I did make some good connections. And, uh, and then when I returned, my mother, my mom passed away. Mm-hmm. Which might resonate with you. I mean, yeah. Similar background there, and uh, it was it was it was uh, she had been ill, but it was a sudden death, and so I kind of put everything on hold. Just I just got kind of oriented, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm need to take care of my mom's estate, and, it's, it, and this one's complicated. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, I ran into a, a, a friend of mine who said, hey, you know, we're we're this little software company we're working on, and it's a startup if you're interested, and. And I was like, well, you know, for where I'm at right now, that'd be, I wouldn't mind doing that. And so I did that for a while, and uh, which was fun because I went back to writing code. I, was, I, learned, I, learned, I learned Swift, and, oh, nice. and I, it was when I realized how rusty I was, you know. Um, but it was fun, and I uh, got my mom's estate organized. And then, of course, St. Louis weather is brutal in the wintertime, and I was ready for someplace warm. And I kept getting these phone calls from companies in Minneapolis and northern wisconsin and i'm like i said i want someplace warm yes and i was walking uh down central west end one day in st louis and i get this call from an executive recruiter and all i heard was clear water (laughs) and and i and then i pictured sunshine and then i said now wait a minute who's the company and she said pods and i said oh my gosh i know pods i love i've used pods i love pods and so um, I interviewed, you know, came down to your, uh, to, we're neighbors, right? So I, I took Clearwater a couple interviews and uh, learned their story. And I, of course, I knew about the, I had rented containers before, um, which was a great idea. But once I, you know, I learned their story and their culture and met the leadership team and the people. And, I, you know, it, 
it just felt really good. And, you know, and it, it, it was a it was sort of a entrepreneurial feel. Mm-hmm. And so I moved from St. Louis. I'd been there Midwest my whole life and have lived in the Tampa Bay area now for three years. Just had my three, third anniversary. So that, nice. that's what brought me here. Yeah. I love it. I'm a native to Sarasota. Right. I heard that. Yeah. yeah Sarasota. Yeah. So you grew up with Ringling Brothers. And, and, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. And then my uh, parents or my father right now lives up in Clearwater. Oh, nice. Yeah. They have a, a weight loss clinic, bariatrics type thing. Oh, very thing. good. Yeah, very good. Exploded. They started three years ago. Uh, his new wife is a physician, and they opened this up. Now they have like thirty doctors, and like this, they bought like a warehouse and renovated it to make it office space. And wow, they're just like very successful. I know. I was that's like, a- that's so fast. So oh, that's great. They, they like do personalized medicine type stuff, and it's it's all very interesting. Yeah, I it, I think. Uh... People, you know, society are just becoming more and more aware of the importance of health. And my wife and I are very conscious of it. And, yes. Um, of course, we've been, we both been very interested in nutrition and fitness and health and the brain. Now the brain, we've been really looking closely at the brain. My father died of, uh, of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And so ever since that, you know, of course, there's, there can be some genetic, genetic markers there. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to, you know, get in front of that and, and, uh, you know, read a little bit about uh, epigenesis, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not an expert on that, but I know that you can trigger uh, genes. You know, you can trigger the genetics yeah. to on or off, and so uh, take care. You know, take care. So, yeah, so I can see where that would take off. So good for your dad. That's awesome yeah. that he's. Have you done the, like the ancestry? I did. What, yeah. Where Where are you from? Uh, you know, I did. I did uh, 23andMe. Yeah. And what I found puzzling is it asked me where I was from first. And which I, don't, I didn't understand that. I was like, okay. I, I was like, well, I'm not going to tell you. You first tell me. Right. And, you know, and I'll tell you where I'm from. Um, but I'm, I, uh, it was validated that I'm from, my family's from uh, Wales. Okay. So a lot of European uh, descent, a little bit of German. Um, you know, I've, I'm most certain I have Native American Indian. I mean, I remember um, spending time with my great-grandmother as a child in Oklahoma. And I just, I mean, it was very clear visually she was you know, Native American Indian, but that didn't show up. So I, I really? was surprised, yeah. Same th- How about so you? I was like 99% from Europe area. Uh-huh. There was like two spots. Um, they were really close to uh-huh. each other. And then 1% American Indian. So my grandmother looks like Pocahontas. Like she looks like Indian. It just uh-huh. came out real fast, uh-huh. apparently. So I don't know how it went from like her being all in yeah. very Indian looking to, to me being 1%, but it did. Yeah. My, it was enough, though, for my brother is actually when he went to med school, uh-huh. he registered. He has like a registered tribe and everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, I didn't I didn't go through the registration process. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's I find that fascinating. I know. You know, my dad studied genealogy. It was fun to watch like pre pre IBM PC. He he did all this by hand and by mail. He would write letters to the. Uh, the Mormon Church in Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. and he would and he would like reach out and re- like use the U.S. postal mail to to communicate with you know family members and relatives and build this family tree, and then he got the IBM PC in 1980 and he got this uh, family tree software and and we used to treasure this database like oh my gosh what if anything happens to this data you know <laughs> this disk on my dad's P-, you know so we back it up and then when uh, you know, he, he had passed away and the, sort of the family's like, well, who wants the, the, the PC with all, and I'm like, 
seems to me we can get at that data yeah. <laughs> with you know the internet and, and and all of the sources that you have now. It's amazing uh, what's available now. Did you copy or transfer it over to to like a ancestry type thing, or did you just leave it on the computer? Nah, we just left it on the computer. Yeah, yeah. You are you are the most well prepared guest I've ever. All had. right, what do I get? You win. You get a copy of the book. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, these notes. I felt like you just sent me the outline for your leadership book. Like this. All is right, what let's work should, on this it. Is what that, can you you gonna help me get published? Yes. Yes. Learning, building a learning culture, knowledge is different than understanding. I loved that, right? I like how you separated this idea of, you know, book studies are accumulating knowledge. Yeah. People feel like I read the book on rockets and now I'm a rocket scientist. Yeah. Or it's, uh, or it's entertainment. Yes. Which is okay. You know, I mean, if we say we're going you know, to get together and we're going to read a book and yeah. it's going to be for pleasure... And that's our intention. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah. But if if you and I are if we're going to start a business, and there's a certain book that's going to give us some background understanding that we're going to try to put to action to help us, well, that's different, right? right? And so I mean, that's money. Yes. It's not just just play. So. You used a word I didn't know, so I always ask this. Uh -huh. Per what is this? Perturbation. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. So perturbation is. Um, it biologically, it is your nervous system's response to an external interaction. Okay. So right now you're you're getting perturbed by the light that's that's hitting your retina, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a biologist. I mean, I we're I gonna take, we're gonna put you on the yeah, on the show. Yeah, no, build no, a no. So yeah. I take you know just like just like I'm interested in the brain. I take what I can from things, but so like a. You know how like you you if you trigger somebody and mm -hmm. they get upset with you, and like so you say something and they respond and they're upset. That was a perturbation against their nervous system. Yeah, my dad used to say perturb. You perturb me. Yeah. You trigger me. You. Um, we live we live in perturbations all day long. I mean that's how we. Um, it's like being affected by the world. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and uh, yeah. So there's a. There's a there's a group that I study with out in California that um, just just amazing people, uh, but one of the books that we study is called The Tree of Knowledge, and mm -hmm. I'm 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 leading my my management team. It's optional; they don't have to do it. Um, I do have things I, I say are mandatory, but this one's optional, and, okay. and I've got most people are coming. Um, but it's just, it's one of the most amazing books. I've read it four times, and I still don't feel like I know it. And it's one of those that'll, that'll never. In fact, I'm on my second copy because the pages are falling out of the first <laughs> one. Uh, it's just it's just a classic, and it's a it's a book on it's a book on biology, but it's got biology, it's got linguistics, which gets into language, it's got um, Heideggerian philosophy, um, and it it is it forms the basis for a lot of how, like how I think and how I work, and you know if you take uh, Daniel Pink's Right Brain, uh, the whole the whole new mind, it it, it 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 takes that concept, but it explodes it out. From a from a biological perspective, you're the third person that's brought that book up to me. Oh, really? So now it's going to go on. Yeah. My, my oh, you have to read it. Yeah. You have to read it. Yeah. And it's um, the thing about reading it is if you you as, as you read it, think about it as a business person. Okay. Not as a like you're studying biology. Got it. Because it's it's uh, it, and then like the last chapter is just amazing. You know. And you can use the analogies and the structures to apply to 
other things? Yeah, and, and a lot of it is, um, like one of the things it talks about, this, this, and those people that have studied with me, that want, if there's one thing, one of the, like say there's five things that they really hold on to and remember and use, one of them is that where people hold on to their certainties about things and it's very dangerous and it's very limiting. And it's, it's, um, it, it's one of the things that I work to make sure I'm not holding on to. Mm-hmm. So like a certainty a long, long, long time ago was that the earth is flat. <laughs> yes. Right. And we held that for a and long time. We were the center of the universe. Right. Exactly. And, and there's, there's, so then you, if you start thinking about that, it's like, well, where else are people being certain about the way things are? And so all day long, you know, I'm looking out for my own certainties. Like, where do I think I know? Like one of the things the book talks about is they have there's a early on there's a there's a little exercise you can do and on the page there's a there's a plus sign and there's a dot and it, and if you if you stare at the plus sign and you bring it close to your face at some point in time the dot disappears hmm. and what it's revealing is and and as you're reading it the the lights you know is perturbing you know your nerve your eye at some point in time there's a spot in your eye where the optical nerve um, attaches. And you can't, it, it's not sensitive to light. And it's basically, so when we talk about blind spots, mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew this, but you're, you actually have a blind spot because your eye is not possible. So then it's like if you say, well, as a human being, if that's the case with my eye, where else, where else do I have blind spots? Yes. And just being aware of that keeps you sort of nimble and open to, well, things might not be as they seem. Yeah, it's like when we go somewhere for the first time, it feels like it takes a lot longer because it's all new data to us. Yeah. And when we go somewhere again, our brain's backfilling the surroundings and everything. So that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, I was just talking to somebody, we were in a, we were in a meeting one day, we were like at the beginning, a little chit chat at the beginning of a meeting, we were talking about how, you know, so I'm like, yeah, the older I get, the time, time flies. And he said, you realize what that is? And I said, well, what is, why does time fly? He goes, because as you age, you experience less newness and so it feels like time flies. As a child, every, you know, you're taking all these things in, and it just seems slower. And so I don't know. If, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm pondering. I have a better on math that. one for that. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I was pondering on that. Like, yeah. Why is that? I thought you were going with my favorite one. That I. No, uh, I'm. I, I, I'm. I'm interested in this. <laughs> okay. So. so when you go from, um, when you go from zero uh-huh. to one, and then you go from one to two, you relived 100% of your life. But when you go to two to three, it's a less percentage. So every year is a less overall percentage of your entire life. And so That's good. it mathematically goes faster. Huh. Because of the amount I'll, of, I'll, the way, it's your perception of time. Uh-huh. And so I actually built, when when I was trying to, I was trying to stand out because I wanted some really cool job. This was probably about five years ago. Uh-huh. And it was a job that was like better than I should be applying to. But to be creative and stand out, I built a time perception calculator. Because you oh, perceive time differently than your children. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's why everything seems so long and they're yeah. so impatient. Because yeah. to them, they, for, for them, they just relived a larger portion of, of their life than you did in a, in a day. That's interesting. Their day seems longer. Yeah. And if you think back to your memory as a child, those days seemed really long. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You're like on and on forever. Yeah. You just yeah. want But they haven't, the, the time hasn't changed a bit. It's still 24 hours. Right. It's just our perception. <laughs> Well, yeah, the perception, you know, people say perception is reality, but that is so true. Yeah. One of my, one of the things that stood out to me that instantly positioned you as one of my favorite leaders is that you put on your notes here, you help employees rise above this cloud paycheck mystery. Mm. 
make it clear. You make it clear try what the to. value is. I try to. Yeah. And um, you know, one of the challenges I find myself in is speaking speaking to speaking to people's background. Like when I talk to people in a way that they they really understand what I'm saying, and that sounds obvious. But you know, so for example. Let's say I knew nothing about computer science or computers at all, and I come and, and, and you're talking to me. You're going to speak, because you know I know nothing about computers. You're going to speak to me in a way that you're, so I can kind of get it. And But this concept that here that I'm talking about is challenging because I think we were all raised, unless you grew up an entrepreneur or you've, you've actually been an entrepreneur. Like when I was younger, I did all kinds of things to make money, and somebody actually gave me cash. So if I wondered what my value was, it's like, uh, you know, like one year I sharpened people's skates. I used to work at a skating rink and, and I bought this device and I'd sharpen skates and they would give me $20 or whatever it was. And I knew what the value was I offered because they felt like the sharpened skates were worth $20. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the corporate environment and you get everybody's working, um, customers are buying product, revenue's coming in, we're spending money on new containers, money's going out. And at the end of the day, there's a surplus of cash, and then some of that's used to write paychecks. And well, how do you know? So if I write, if I give somebody a paycheck, how do I know what the value is? I mean, what? How do I calculate the value of what they produced or what their offers were, or as 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 like in an entrepreneurial world? And so the one, of the, so I talk about that, and talk about there is the market, mm-hmm. and there is you know what. Java software engineers are going to make or, or business analysts. But if you start thinking about yourself as an entrepreneur, even though you're in the corporate world and you think about the broader marketplace, like forget forget the company you work at, think of yourself as I can go make offers anywhere. What's the value of what you're doing? And how does what you're doing help the company? Because like one of the things I tell people is if, if, I, if I said, if you're in an elevator, with the CEO and, and he asks, hey, what do you do? If you say I'm a business analyst or I'm a software engineer or I write Java, yeah, that's true from a task tactical perspective, but what do you really do for the company? You know, oh I I write software so that our customers can can get their containers as quickly as possible and the most easily way to take care of their needs around their moving or, you know, I John I'm you know I'm I'm helping you uh, increase revenues for this company, or I'm working on reducing our costs so that next year our EBITDA is going to be better. That's what they care about. That's where the value is. And you're not getting a check because you're writing Java. And I think, and one of the things that I used to do, I did at my last company, was worked, because one of the things we heard on employee uh, feedback for employee surveys was, I don't know how I fit into the company. And I thought about that. I'm like, okay, how do I help people know how they fit in the company? Well, it's their value. Well, what's their value? And we actually had some breakout sessions uh, during an all hands where we all created value narratives. It's like, okay, you need you need an elevator speech, and it's not I write Java. It's you know I am helping the company. I am I am helping customers uh, take care of their transportation when their car is wrecked. You know, at Enterprise or whatever, and. Because you know, if you think about the difference between money and currency, you know, you know, currency is cash, and yeah, you, you get a paycheck, but money is the value. 
money is an exchange of the value. Right. So anyway, I don't know if that makes sense, but no, that's, it does. those it's, are the comments. But it's and a part of it is to get people to think and out of the busyness of the workday, and then more into like the actions that they're in to take care of whatever commitments and obligations that they have. It's like with, with pods, right? A lot of reasons people use, or a recurring reason mm-hmm. is moving their family. Yeah. So you can almost build the story of the family who's going to, you know, they're upgrading, taking a more prosperous job and taking a big step in their uh-huh. career. And you fit into that life cycle. So it's like, I may be doing something with GPS coordinates, right, of tracking our uh-huh. pods as an engineer. Yeah. But what that's really helping doing is reduce the cost of lost pods so uh-huh. that we can allow it to be more cost effective for families to take opportunities and be able to move across the, the country and improve their lives. And so if you connect your scripting back to that happening as uh-huh. a mental image, that it's, it's not nonsense, it's reality. Uh-huh. Like that's why you're doing yeah. it. And so connecting your work back to the value that you bring the customer is incredibly important. It's yeah. motivating. Yeah. yeah, we often talk about, I think our, our mission statement a big part of our mission statement is giving our customers a peace of mind. Because if you've ever had anything in a in a container and you don't know where it's at, it's a little nerve-wracking, you know, especially... You, you know, track you, containers? I just made that up. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And they're called containers, by the way. Yeah. Right? yeah. Not, not Kubernetes. Not, 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 no, not pods. <laughs> not, yeah, yeah not right. Uh, but yeah, and so if, if a customer cares about their belongings and knowing where they're at, or they care about the driver showing up on time, um, then we need to take care of that customer concern. Now, you've said, you know what just triggered in my head? You've said that when you, you handed me one of these little toy containers. Yes. Right? That have the pods logo right. on them. And now it's running, what can't stop looping through my mind is how Google kept asking people to stop Googling it because they were going to lose their, their trademark on it. Do you guys not want people calling the pods pods? No. Okay. Is that, yeah. is that, it's the trademark thing, right? It's the trademark thing. Yeah, because right. Google made this. Yeah, and a lot, of our, a lot of our competitors call their containers pods. Do they really? Uh, well, legally, they don't know. They don't know, yeah. Yeah, and uh, because the pods stands for portable on-demand storage, and wow. it's just coincidental that it's on the side of a white box container, and so people just naturally call it pods. Got it. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, you know, it's, you know, I think for years people called Band-Aids Band-Aids. Right. But it really was an adhesive strip. Oh, wow. Yes. Right. So, um, but from a branding perspective, it's wonderful. I mean, I think, you know, we've got uh, a couple hundred thousand billboards moving around the country. Right. Oh, that, so, that's okay. Yeah. I think about that. Yeah. My brother called me once and he goes, he goes, I'm glad you guys are doing good with your business, but I hope somebody will just take that white box off the, across the street that I have to look at every day. Uh, I think somebody's living in there now. So. Oh, no. <laughs> I saw one at Synapse. You were at Synapse then, or did you know yeah, that? There was yeah, one out front, yeah, yeah. Big, big container yeah. out front. Yeah. Yeah, we, we also do um, commercial applications now. Oh, okay. We're, we're getting, you know, we're, we're, we've been in it for a while, but that's kind of a focus area is focusing on commercials. So, for example... So, for example, a Walgreens might um, want to remove all of the fixtures in the, the cosmetic section. Got it. And over a weekend, they can like we can put all the new fixtures in a in a container, and we have st- we have steel containers. We're buying more steel containers and fill that in, prepare it with a kit, and then they can do it for a whole bunch of stores. And then all those containers can go out in the parking lots, and over a weekend, uh, Monday morning, they can have 
a whole new finish on the inside and they take the old ones out and put them and we take them back. So that's just one application. But, you know, we're showing up at concerts for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, merchandise. So like, oh, yeah, and, and as the as the con, as the concert uh, t- uh, touring committee or groups move around, they run out of merchandise. And so the containers can always be filled with merchandise and sort of act as a staging inventory and, and mobile. You know, inventory. And, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's smart. I was telling, uh, I was explaining to somebody else where I work now and they go, Oh, you, you sell space and time. Ooh. And I'm like, yes, we do actually. That's if nice. If you think about it. Yeah. And then you start thinking about the different form factors that you can get into around that. Cause it's convenience. I mean, uh, uh, we used to have, uh, Pretty nice patio furniture at our back in St. Louis. I thought it was nice. You know, I spent a lot of money on it, and and uh, I didn't want to leave it outside over the winter time because the mice get in and things. And uh, there was a couple years I'd, I'd go get my son. We'd run a U-Haul truck, go to the U-Haul, come back, load up, go to the fixed storage, come back, and just logistically it was tough. And then I thought, you know, I'm gonna try pods and get containers, and it was wonderful because they brought it and put my my patio furniture in, and they took it and moved to put it in the storage center, and it was just so much more convenient. What's what's the size of Pods Technology Organization? We have uh, about seventy employees mm-hmm. right now, and we're we're we have about equal number of consultants contractors right now because we're building a new system. Okay. So oh, yeah, so you so leverage some outside to yeah, build a new system? Yeah, and then, since I've been there, I think for a long time it's been about half and half. Okay. Half. Uh, Half employees, half contractors. So about seventy in IT, but then with your new system, it's not like one forty. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then once we're once this new system's done, it'll it'll probably ramp down to. We'll probably always have about twenty percent contractor consultant, either because you know just flexibility. Yeah. Or you know anytime you get new technology, you always want. I, mean, I always want to bring help. Yes. Right. Anytime, anytime you do something the first time, it, it can be rough, and so I know, you know leverage the vendors, right? <laughs> leverage and, vendors, leverage and, consultants, find yeah. people that know what you don't know yeah, and bring the knowledge, them in. right? Yeah. And do it right the first time, get the help, and so yeah. So I think that's why we'll always have some level of uh, consulting or help in that regard. I like the scarf. I hadn't heard that. Oh before. yeah, yeah. David Rock. I haven't. Yeah, heard you heard of him? him? No, but I'm going to look up all yeah. of these people now. He's he's got a. Uh, I can't remember how I how I discovered him. He's got a group that I, he was he was key to forming it called the Neuro Leadership Institute, Ooh. and it was kind of a brain based leadership. And if the way I the way I and he he talks a little bit about this. He has a handbook. It's about that thick. Um, I bought it, and it's 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 really interesting, really good. There's really good stuff in there. But there's what I like about what he what he and that group do is they don't they don't discard what's been done. So Peter Drucker, oh, I love you it. know, um, all of the greats around, you know, just historical, traditional management leadership, this, you know, timeless, fundamental, all good. You know, they're part of like the platform of leadership and management uh, discourse. And then you have, uh, you know, Daniel Pink comes along mm-hmm. and, and there's, a you know, uh, 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 emotional intelligence, Daniel Goleman, right? Is that, I think it's, the emotional intelligence, like 2.0, yeah, all those yeah. Books. I think that's I, I think Goldman. I think it's Goldman. I took it. So you up. had this, so you had this new, like this layer on top that started getting into like the right side of the brain and emotion and conceptualizing. And I, for me, in addition to some of this other uh, discourse that I'm in, the the neural leadership they're bringing brain based. And so scarf is is I don't claim to be an expert in it, but it it's 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 uh it's been very helpful for me to know that. We talked about perturbations mm-hmm. when we're triggered 
and you, I'm sure you know this, when you're triggered, you can be triggered to fight or flight. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's primitive in our in our being. People can be triggered into fear, flight, or fight or engagement. And so in the workplace, if you think about motivating people and, and encouraging people and mobilizing people, you can shut them down or open them up to action. And SCARF stands for status, certainty, um, uh, autonomy, autonomy yeah. relation, relating, and what was the last? Fair, fairness. fairness, yeah. And so... This was not a quiz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I've looked at it, no. but but it's um, but it if it, it, it's just true. I mean, you know, people people care about their status. They care, you know they want certainty. Like where that's why people are like, what's our vision? Where are we going? And if they don't have that, they're uncomfortable. Ooh, fun point with that. It's not. It's a lot like um, it's a lot like taking a shower. You have to do it every day, like. Yeah. The vision, just because you, you, it's not like a check mark, like, oh, at this company, I have communicated the vision, check, I'm, I've done my leadership task. It's like a constant yeah, thing. Yeah, and we forget that as leaders, don't we? Yes. Um, one of my uh, teachers says that if you don't, if you can't hold your vision statement in your mind and you don't have it like, like on the tip of your tongue in language, it doesn't exist. Ooh, so as soon as soon as you as soon as you lose, it's like goals or anything. You know, you write them. One of the reasons you write them down and you put them on the walls, you don't forget them because as soon as you forget them, they don't exist. And same thing with the vision. And if we don't, it's one of the reasons politicians say the same thing over and over again in their you know their lobbying and their party or whatever they're doing. Uh, we're running for campaign is because they keep it in existence. And, and that's, they keep that's, it simple so it spreads. Yep. Yeah. And that's what we have to do as leaders, right? Autonomy. You know, if we don't empower people. They don't feel like they're in control, and we're micromanaging. Um, they're going to shut down, and they're not going to be as effective. Relation, you know, we talk about. You know, there's a lot of talk about today, and millennials need to be, you know, in groups and communities. Yes, that, that applies to everybody. Yeah, we're socially oriented as human beings. It's, that doesn't doesn't it's not apply just to millennials. Yeah, right. It's I know. like why why why? It's, it's like, like they want to be in yeah. groups and tribes. It's like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That's that's what we do as right. people. Yeah. <laughs> And fairness, fairness to me is about consistency, right? Let's be. It doesn't mean equal equal portions for everybody. It right. just means I'm fair in the way I approach, the way I work with my team, and, and it's consistent. And then that builds trust too, because they they can trust that you're going to be consistent. And you're going to do the right thing. Yeah, right? that so. was the topic of this morning's conversation. I was down at the Ritz for Chamber. It was like the annual Chamber mm-hmm. event, and they mm-hmm. had a breakfast and this guest speaker who had built up Nextel. Oh, wow. As the COO and oh, nice. some other companies, he's built yeah. two or three multi-billion dollar companies. And I was like, let's go listen to yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. That's accomplishment. <laughs> yep, let's go listen. And his, his first name was Joel. So somebody actually, a, a lawyer that had heard me speak at like an Ivy League event, messaged me and said, um, hey, this guy's name is Joel and he's got the whole billionaire thing going on. I think you'd want to hear him speak. I have an extra ticket. Do you want to come? Nice. And I said, yep. She's like... Does it does it mind that's like at seven a.m. It's a breakfast. I'm like, nope. I'm up at four or five in the morning. Right. So, like I can be there. I'm an early person. Are you early? I know. I heard. I, I yeah. listened to one of your podcasts. You said you're early, and you, I think I was walking my dog, listening to your podcast, and and it was five thirty, and I thought, oh, Joel's already run. Yeah. By now, because he says he runs in the morning. I do. Yeah, I run in the morning, and when it's too cold, I have to go to the gym and run. Yeah. I prefer the outside run. Yeah. 
I like the outside run. Uh, yeah, well, you get to see things and you get the, the fresh stars. air. Yeah, yeah. And the only time I, I like, I don't mind. I don't run a lot, but like if I, if I do, um, I like to do. It's called well. There's different names for it. What I heard it is P gate. Okay. And so I like to do that on a treadmill just because I can get it over with quick. But it's mm-hmm. basically like eight wind sprints for thirty seconds, That's but cool. you take like a ninety seconds in between. That's it's cool. like interval or there's other names for it, but uh, yeah. When I I for a while there I was going to a spin class mm-hmm. and they have that concept of like it's a lot of intensity and a lot no, of break yeah. and a lot of good for break. your heart, good for your brain. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, I feel alive. Yeah, I feel really alive yeah. after my my morning workouts. Yeah. You got a great story by the way. Your car wreck. Do you ever talk yeah. about that? Um, yeah. You know I don't talk about that on the show a lot. But did you okay. see the video? I haven't seen the video. Is it okay if I bring it up? Yeah. It's okay. I mean, I just, I'm always, I mean, I'm fascinated by people's story, especially um, adversity and what they yeah. go through. And dude, that's huge. What you went through and yeah. like how you went through, like, and that's just, I mean, I just, that, that stuff shapes you. Yeah. So. It was a garage sale day, um, January 20th. Mm-hmm. And I was about like 10, between, I think like 10, 11, 12 ish. Yeah. And uh, this girl sort of lost control of her car and hit me. And oh, man. My back, like my legs and stuff went like under the back tires. And, <sighs> and then I woke up and they were drawing chalk around me because they were going to put me in the ambulance. And for the investigation, they have the tire marks and where the yeah. person. But like when, when they were drawing chalk around me, I was like, am I dead? Did you remember that? Yeah. Huh? You're, you remembered? Like, Can I so, remember that? Yeah. 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 Sometimes a shock of situations. Oh, I wasn't people, in pain. People. Okay. That was the thing I remember most. Yeah. Is I woke up and I just like. I was fine, and I they saw him drawing chalk around. I was like, "What's going on?" And then they put me in the back of the ambulance and started driving. And it wasn't for probably like 10, 15 minutes that I started before I felt the pain. Oh wow! And they were they were putting like drugs in me because they're like, "He's it's gonna coming. feel it." Yeah, in a it's coming. Like, in a and they, oh they like tap on me like, "Are you feeling?" Isn't that pain? amazing? The body and you you couldn't feel it. Yeah, like I shut it that's off. A, it's not what if that's the creation's way of protecting. Yeah. Yeah, for the moment at least, right? Right. And so I was like, okay, cool. People call it the word shock, but I wasn't like, I wasn't shocked. Like it was my nervous system that did something for me because I was like very conscious. Like Uh I just got hit by a car and I'm in the hospital, I'm in the ambulance right now. So then I started uh, rehab and I was in the wheelchair for a while, halfway through, I don't know if this is in the book, but halfway through my rehab, um, I fell. And rebroke my leg. Read that, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I did put it in there. Yeah, you, yeah. You put I don't it know there. about the editor. Sometimes yeah. they edit. No, yeah, that was in there. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I got that part. I'm like, oh my yeah. god, poor kid, you're going through this. Yeah. Uh, so then, um, fell, rebroke my leg, got through it. It was really humbling, you know, having going through puberty and then having like a nurse have to like take care of you. Yeah. Like that's, it's it's not like fantasy style. It's like embarrassing. Yeah. Right. Like and so doing the showers and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that taught me not to be a jerk, right? Be, be nice and humble. Mm-hmm. And um, then, you know, I got fat. I don't know if that was in the book. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was. Yeah, yeah so I got really put fat. Put on a bunch of weight. Yeah, put on a bunch of weight. And then um, decided that, you know, it was high school, you know, late high school. And everyone was, you know, doing the dating thing. And I wasn't dating because I was big. And uh, so... It's like I want to experience that side of life. Uh-huh. So I had this friend Caleb, uh-huh. who was who was thin, and so I started um, mimicking him, uh-huh. mimicking his eating behaviors. I said I tried diets, but I was crashing, yeah. and like it just yeah. wasn't working. Yeah. Now I understand it's discipline. Anything works if you work it for long yeah. enough yeah. with consistency. Yeah. But at that point in time, yeah. I was like, let's just follow Caleb. 
I did, and it worked, and it was great. So that's great. Good, yeah. good that he was there for that, right? Right. Yeah. I saw when I when I downloaded your book, there was Beast Audio. Is that yours too? Oh yes, it's out there. <laughs> well, what is that? We'll edit I that out of the podcast. Yeah. Get this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, Jake, Jake, if you're out there, you might. Be oh, right. you just I don't brought it into the office. <laughs> no, was, oh, I, I, did, I didn't. I, I was yeah. going to talk to you first before. No, please, that no, yeah. please. It was, it was a matter of time. Let me say, I did this project as a consultant for this company. And they were like, did some government work. Uh-huh. So there was like a lot of background investigation uh-huh. and stuff. It was a big project. And um, it's actually, it's like the, two years ago. So probably a year after I, I did it. And um, they ended up replacing the conference line hold music with one of the tracks. <laughs> and so they had me come in to do one of this like conference call with like some military, like whatever. And it was the pre-music for it. Okay. And I was like, that's hilarious. I loved it. I have a brother-in-law who's a famous music producer. Oh, really? And so there's a song called, like, Best Day of My Life. Um, it's oh, like, yeah. do-do-do, do-do, do-do-do. It's like, it was... Who, the, who was the author? Who was it? Um, oh, man, now I don't know. Uh, I forget. Yeah. American Authors. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I just I played that last year at my niece's wedding. I oh, you I did? Guitar, yeah. Yeah. You, you played it on the guitar? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. The, so the banjo whole thing. So he he made the song. He's the wow, producer. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So he they found American authors in Boston at some bar, and they had gotten together and they said, hey, you know, why don't you come up to mm-hmm. Westchester where they where they live in New York and we'll record some stuff and we'll try to work nice. it out. I found out the way they actually do these recording sessions is they they come to his house right or their uh-huh. studio and they spend three or four days together and they write an album. They put down the first version of the album. Then they slowly let people come in and do different parts and like the start producer. Layering, start layering. Yeah, they start layering producing. it. Yeah. Yeah. Having the, they'll have like guest drummers mm-hmm. come in just to put it down or yeah. something. Yeah. And then they start. He adds a bunch of instruments and then he's like, the art is taking away. So they start taking away different parts. Yeah. So Over at and yeah. they couldn't get the song right. And then they were like stressing out about it and they're like, why don't we just flip that one to be a banjo? Right, this like specific style uh-huh. of banjo, and they flipped it into the banjo, and they're like, "That's it. That right, cool. that's what's gonna make the song." So that was something that you know wasn't ori- it wasn't originally in the song. It was and in post production. Yeah, they switched it to cool. a banjo. And um, you know, what else is interesting is, and we, we, I know we're off topic here. No, it's fine. What else is interesting is I have uh, I played guitar with a friend of mine. He was a country artist and working, you know, doing a CD and this sort of thing. And went to Nashville, and I didn't I didn't record on his CD, but I was in the studio with him. And, you know, there's all these different musicians, you know, Carrie Underwood's, you know, fiddle player and all these people. And, and we were talking about how they, they record the core song mm-hmm. and then they'll have tracks with instruments for country, mm-hmm. like a fiddle and a steel guitar, um, a banjo. And then they'll do, they'll do additional tracks for the pop stations, mm-hmm. you know, so electric guitar and a keyboard. And, the, and then so they do a track for the pop stations and they take out all of the sort of the uh, country pixie dust and then then they kind of flip it for the other and I just I just thought that was fascinating what oh, yeah. just the way they're thinking about it's the same song yes. right but it's two different sort of arrangements and for two different genres yeah they and then they make um, another fun fact that I like is uh, 
people who watch TV when they do like the little promo for a show's gonna come out, it's like Saturday, Saturday, yeah, whatever. They actually have to make that like a song and then they clip it out because of like some licensing issue. So oh. they actually they will write a small song. I wondered about that and specifically make it like that. Oh yeah, because I I always wonder like they're ripping off something here. I'm, yeah, how are they doing it? Yeah, so you make it a song. And then they just clip that section of it. You can't just make the 15-second clip. Okay. And I was like, well, that's cool. Because yeah. they do stuff for, like, Pepsi commercials. Yeah. It's also very, like, any any area I go in life, I realize this. It's very relationship-driven. So there's great songs that they make, some songs that are better, better than others. Mm-hmm. But because of the relationships as the world is turning, people favors and friends and, like... It's all network. It's all networks. It and so sometimes the network totally is busy. And they have a great song, and so it just doesn't yeah. it doesn't happen. Yeah, because having a great song and then having it get on the into the consciousness of like society, yeah. Yeah. two different things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I so he um, was hanging out with me, and we were like, hey, let's let's. I'm I talk a lot, and people like my family and stuff. They'd say I'm very motivational, like when I'm talking. Mm-hmm. So he's like, he's like, and I and I was writing at the time. Mm-hmm. I was just writing these motivational things for myself, uh-huh. like. And he's like, oh, we should we should record them. Like, let's just let's just record some. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, I've never done this before. He's like, yeah. He's like, just take some of the things that you write. And like, I think it was like a grandparent or some far farther removed relative had passed away, so he had flew flew down. He's okay. like, let's just record some stuff. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so it was fun. And so I, we just we did that. And um, it comes up on my air uh, my AirPods sometimes because it's in my Apple Music. Uh-huh. I make like two three hundred bucks a month off of that. Well, I'll buy that too. I, I wanted to make sure I knew what it was before I bought it. Well, I didn't know if it was you. I mean, it had the same name, right? Yeah, no, it's but me. I, I figured it was. So. Oh, it's it's motivational like speeches essentially, okay. like motivational yeah, I'll have to download rants. It. Yeah, yeah. And um, I would write them like while running on the treadmill or something, or nice. cooling down on the yeah. treadmill. But yeah. you gotta you gotta find ways to stay motivated, because motivation is like it's ephemeral, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I was actually start I started to do some writing about this. In fact, one of the things I was thinking about oh, probably three or four months ago was the the importance of bringing creativity, passion, art into the corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch an artist, whether it's a you know an actor and a, a, a painter, musician, and you look at the passion and the intensity with what they do. If everybody in the corporate environment worked with that kind of passion and intention and creativity and discipline, can you imagine what the, the output of the company would be? And I'm, and I'm not saying people aren't doing that or they don't intend, but it's kind of a concept. And so I was even thinking about uh, this. In fact, I, I, I actually bought the URL and was thinking about playing around with it, this concept of the corporate artist. Mm. but. If when you hear that, it could you might think, oh, somebody paints for company. Like the way yeah. how that perturbs somebody. Like, well, what does that mean? Maybe not be it. But I was thinking, there's there's something there that that I'm interested in in, in talking about. I believe the people have it inside of them. Mm-hmm. Often they almost it's like they need permission to express it. Like I I, I think more people feel like that inside. Mm-hmm. Well, there's something shutting them down. Yeah. You know, I talked about the scarf model. It's yeah. Like, it's like, well, what is it? Fear? Is it? You know, belief you have to pay. Belief you have to like bridle it or or heart you know, filter it or whatever. Where if people would just be their authentic self and 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 be able to flourish naturally within the ethics of the yeah of the company or whatever. But 
That's the hard something. part. There's always advice, and then there's the way people misinterpret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but but I liked when I was reading your notes about if you create um, like one thing I do with my team is uh, like specifically I had Courtney, and she was reaching out and getting quotes from people, mm-hmm. and um, for for this book we're putting together mm-hmm. like 365 days of technology leadership quotes, and some people were writing longer stories, and I was like, oh, just cut it down and find a good line in there mm-hmm. that that you can use. You don't have to publish the whole story. Mm-hmm. She's like, but then I'm editing their work. Won't they be upset at me? And and I said, if they if they do, I will take ownership of it. Like we can say I did it uh-huh. or whatever. But by by constantly taking and, I, and that happens a lot in little different situations. Mm-hmm. But letting them know that look, if this comes back, I'll own it for you. Mm-hmm. you it will not come back to you. I will. Yeah, that you got their back. That, that yeah. creates the environment yeah. that they can do stuff. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's really good. And that that that's uh, safety for them. That's they what can, I liked about they, your writing. Yeah, they can be freed up by that. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, it creates cool. that environment. It's like, hey, you can make mistakes, yeah. and it will never come back on you, because that's, that's what really people awesome. are so that's scared about. Yeah, that's good for you. Man. Yeah, I'm, this is you're fantastic. Do you want to call my wife and tell her? That? Yeah, I'll write a letter. <laughs> <laughs> my children. No, I, I was looking. I was looking forward to uh, meeting you, and I like listened to a few of your podcasts and and uh, just your energy and your passion, and your enthusiasm. It was, it's contagious for sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you've heard that before. I love it. I just like getting to talk. Like this is my job, and for me that's unbelievable because I thought that I would have to like pursue an all. I didn't see it happening like this, and I thought it was a lot farther away than it mm-hmm. was. And I stopped thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I stopped imagining it, and instead took the time I was spending imagining it and just started taking one step like closer to you. it. Right, and so that is, I think my takeaway from this experience is that it takes less work. And time than you would imagine. I know everyone says the opposite, like it takes way more time. But if, if you replace all the time you spend daydreaming of a different future mm-hmm. and just replace that with taking action towards mm, it. That's really good. It just That's really good. You need to write that. Yeah. Get, get, get that off the recording. I think we're recording it. Yeah. yeah, you got that. Hopefully Jake didn't uh, have the machine turned off. That's, no. That was good. <laughs> oh man. No, but that's, that's what it was and it's changed everything and my entire life has changed in the past two years. Yeah. And like I like it, and so I'm excited about what's yeah. going to happen over the next 20 years. Yeah. What's but, your What's your number one purpose for what you do? Right now, no, it, no, just in life, like like if somebody said you only you have, like I'm like I'm not, I'm, I'm I'm interviewing it's my podcast now okay. I'm asking yeah <laughs> no Bill Tingle no yeah no what like what uh, if somebody said you only you can only say one thing you're like you're just your purpose in life what would it be yeah helping teaching people yeah it's the, it's by far the most selfish thing I can do. I get such a biological chemical reward from it. Yeah. It's yeah, it's like uh, selfishly altruistic. Yeah, yes it is. I'm a huge fan of that yeah. concept because it's you would think it's I used to cringe at that when I would hear people say that. Uh-huh. Like, like no. I used to be very dismissive. I used to be negative. I used to think the self help stuff was nonsense and garbage. Mm-hmm. And it's because I grew up in this environment and I don't know, no one specifically said it to me, but the feeling mm-hmm. was that they're, you know, the 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 not good salespeople, right? The motivational speakers. Oh, mm-hmm. it's just garbage. They're just mm-hmm. going to sell you stuff that's not true, and they're just mm-hmm. there to sell books, and they're just mm-hmm. saying that hype. Mm-hmm. So I had this negativity about it, and I guess I got frustrated enough with with not getting what I wanted out of life because I'm a natural drive, mm-hmm. and I'm like, let's go try the one thing that I haven't tried mm-hmm. in 30 mm-hmm. years, and like, let's see if that works. Mm-hmm. Let's start taking the things that I'm certain about and questioning mm-hmm. them. 
Mm-hmm. And I real quick found out mm-hmm. that all that self-help stuff, mm-hmm. incrementally improving yourself over mm-hmm. time, that works. The real test is in the outcomes, right? That's I mean, that's if, it's, the if it's if you say if because self-help's gotten a bad rap, and yeah. There's probably a seeming cheesiness with some of it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But for me, the real question is, I'm open to all of it. The question is, is it, it what's it going to produce? Unless it's entertaining, and that's okay. Yeah. So if the end if the end is I want to be entertained, then okay, I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. But if no, I want to produce something, and I can produce it, then call it self-help, call it knowledge. I don't. It's it's. It doesn't matter, right? It's like right. I'm, I'm, I'm producing something with this. Yeah, you just get so. frustrated enough to where it's like results. It's like I will, I'm, I even remember the those moments. You know, I was thinking to myself, what just I just need to find something that works. Just like show me, mm-hmm. show me something that works on like a physics level mm-hmm. in business and in life. Like I need something real, and and then I started, you know, following some of the. Um, like Jim Rohn's type people. Like he was, I listened to Tony Robbins, like that's cool, but then I heard in his, one of his speeches that his mentor is Jim Rohn. I don't need to, I'm I'm gonna put Tony Robbins over here, I'm gonna learn from his mentor. Yeah. And then I learned, Jim Rohn's mentor is this guy named Earl Shell. Oh yeah. And then I started listening, he doesn't have much content because it gets dated. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I got, when I was, uh, when I was, how are you, can I see you? 31. 31? Gosh, to be 31 again. That's awesome, You've you've done a lot, 31. That's, congratulations for you. Uh, but I remember my late 20s and probably early 30s, uh, I'd go to the library and I'd check out this package of cassettes. And it would be like Jim Rowan cassettes or, you know, all the whole Nightingale Conant, right? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't in sales. A lot of them were meant for salespeople. But I'd, I'd go check them out because I just, and it wasn't just made me feel good. There were ideas in there about how to how to get organized and how to treat people and and how people what people's needs are and how to interact and how to you know like whether it's influence um not manipulative influence but just how to you know i would say now how to trigger people to action yeah. and uh but i remember i'd put those cassettes in you know and then i'd take them back and get another set of cassettes and yeah of course now you just download it off every morning yeah every morning yeah i'm not kidding you my alarm clock goes off i use this thing called sleep cycle that like tracks my sleep and everything uh-huh. and airpods go in and it's like either Jocko, who's like a Navy SEAL guy that has a podcast talking about discipline, or it's Jim Rowan, uh-huh. or it's Les Brown. It depends on yeah, my day. Yeah. I Sometimes I need some rah-rah speeches. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I need some tactical things. Yeah. And so I have my different people for my different mm-hmm. my different things. And so, I mean, yeah, the word self-help does kind of have like a cheesy thing to it. But it works. And the moment you start getting into that um, orbit... Mm-hmm. of that class of people it's the rule mm-hmm. they like all the really successful people do it mm-hmm. like they all are reading those types of books mm-hmm. and they're all you know it's just yeah. it's like that's what works yeah advice to your to your past self like let's say the fir- like first time leader advice we have a lot of technologists mm-hmm. that they're engineers they've maybe been in the job for you know three years they're pretty mm-hmm. good at their technical mm-hmm. craft mm-hmm. They want to make that transition to team lead. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? Find those people that are doing what you aspire to do. Um, make an assessment of if they're truly great or they're accomplished. Like look for their accomplishment. Look for the person they are. Are they humble? Are they open? Are they uh, appreciative? And then 
on a nonstop basis, look for ways to help them and ask, you know, like offer to help them, look for what they need, the help they need, and just help them, help them, help them, help them, help them, and not worry about what you get in return because uh, by coupling and interacting with those people, it's going to shape you just like if you're listening to self-help, you know, it shapes you because you're coupling to, to that and, and uh, do it with sincerity. And, you know, I have people at work that do that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're always offering to help. Sometimes it's, hey, can I get you a power strip and some flip charts on the way down to your meeting? And it's like, yes, thank you so much for doing that. And, or, you know, sometimes it's not, you know, technology help or software help. It's just, it's just help. And um, to me, that would be uh, one of the things. That's what, that's what has made everything for me. Like, I do these helpful calls with people all the time. Mm-hmm. We call them micro micro strategy calls. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I've got three of them today. Yeah. Okay. So I get on the phone with these people, CTOs of all shapes and sizes, and I let them ask me questions and then I'll share if I if I have insight mm-hmm. there and if I don't I'll connect them with someone in my database who would know that area mm-hmm. um, like for example one one guy just got um, finished around last week with for a hundred million dollars wow. and he's like oh I asked around and like they said go talk to Joel and I was like what <laughs> I was like that's cool because the people that they asked didn't have experience at like a higher level I have a couple people that I know that have been at that level I have Joel Beasley has not been at that level but I, I shared the general topics of what they talked about with their struggles and then I connected them to each other so that they can you know that's great one of the things that, that made me think about is we were talking recently about how we value ourselves and how we value others and we often forget that the value of Joel isn't just Joel the value of Joel is Joel's network so like you are your network. You have to be today. And, mm-hmm. you know, long, long, long time ago, it would have been you at a machine, you know, whatever you do in the factory. But today, Joel's value isn't just Joel. It's your whole network. It's your team here. It's, it's like, like you said, it's that person who um, just got the $100 million round. It's you know, all your reach. And then so that's why when people say, um, I need a network, it's like, well, why do you know, do you know why you need to build your network? Your ne- your nobody ne- does ne- it. Your network is money. Yeah. I've had people, I've had people. Uh, they they set up an appointment with me to to, net- to network. I'm like, that's fine. You know, it, it's it's to, it's just going to be a social session unless you know why you want to network. Mm-hmm. And if you say no, I I want to network because I need help, and I, how can I help you first, and then how can you help me, and be conscious of who you're networking with because you are your network from a capability and a value perspective. Mm-hmm. Huge. Yes, and then I, and then I'm learning when you're when I'm listening to these billionaires speak and their speeches mm-hmm. and everything like that. You learn so much because they share. Yeah, they want to help other people because it comes down to who's willing to do it. Yeah. and so um, to your point, there's specific ways to ask for help. Like for example, like if I want help in let's say sales uh-huh. from a sales popular salesperson uh-huh. that writes books and stuff, uh-huh. I'm not just going to Google popular salesperson and just send them a question. I'm going to find them, read every piece of content they've produced Uh on sales, look at two or three other people that are their Uh peers in the space, come up with a question worth asking, Uh because 99% of my questions are going to be answered that I have right now from Uh that 101 Uh content. Come up with questions worth asking and then send them that, because they validate you based off of the questions you're asking. Yeah. When people are asking me 101 questions, I'm like, just Google it anyway. Yeah, and the way I think about that is, 
in terms of cost and money, in terms of time, energy, uh, in that there's an opportunity there that you say, okay, if I want if I want to learn or or get some you know helpful information, you know, what cost can I take on to get as much of what's available already, and then what's not available? That's the part I want to. That's the, I'm playing back on what I heard yeah. from you. Um, the other thing that you just triggered me to think about is there's there's a group of us that that, that study together across the country, and uh, one of the things we talk about is and it goes back to offering help. If if somebody says, "How can I help you?" and there are there are some times where they're putting the cost on me, they're putting the burden on me to figure out what do I need to do to help, versus if you can figure out spend enough time figuring out what my needs are, what my concerns are, and make an offer, like have a plan of how you're gonna help me, then I don't have to think about it, and you've, you've given me a gift. And that's to me, that's more valuable, because I'll have sometimes people say, hey, what can I do to help you? I'm like, I, that's too much, that's, too much. I, that's gonna take my time and energy to, to figure that out, I don't know right now. Now if it's, hey, could you take the flip charts and that's the, yeah. the extension cord down, that's, that's different. But if it's complex and it's it's uh, there's a strategy behind it, that's you know go do the work. Yeah, it's like if they're being lazy about trying to be valuable to you. Yeah, yeah. So that that goes back to the thing about um, if you're go back and teach, you know if I could tell my younger self something, it yeah. would be it would be to con- just continually make offers of help to people who who are influential and are in situations I want to be in, but not just say how can I help you. I would be looking for ways that my help is valuable to them. And and I would design it, not ask them to. Yeah, you would act as a yeah. consultant. You'd figure out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's great yeah. advice. Yeah. This is fantastic conversation. Yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm so happy that we did the in-person podcast. Yeah, it was fun. A nice drive down. It was yeah. funny. I was on the bridge coming, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't think I've, I think I went to Sarasota once since I've been here for three, over the three oh, okay. years. Yeah, so this is my second time down this far. Um, funniest thing though, I recently got a new car. I'm still not used to it and I've been busy. And I'm going across Skyway, and I look at my gauge, and I've got eight miles on my tank. Oh no! <laughs> and and I and I look for gas, and it says nearest gas station eleven miles, and I'm like, that can't be true. Oh <laughs> it's no! Like, I'm gonna have to call Joel and have him come get yeah. me. <laughs> but uh, I did I did manage to get off and get some gas before I got here. So yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, because I know exactly what you're talking about. You come over the skyway yeah. and there's it's not like gas for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's one exit too that's bad because if you take that exit, you can't get back on. Oh really? Yeah. I, I managed to do okay then. So. Yeah. <laughs> this is fantastic. Are we done? Yeah, we're done. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah we, time time flew right by. So yeah. Hopefully it was. Uh, it was best. It was amazing. Well, thanks, Joel. Thank Enjoyed you. it. Yeah, it was good to meet you finally. Yeah. And so. This was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.